This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Hanna. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a really great show today. We're going to be covering a lot of topics. Kind of interesting local story, which has national and international significance. The mayor of San Francisco, London Breed, with all of the difficulties we're having in San Francisco now, you know, homelessness, violence, all the other things going on. What has uh, Mayor Breed decided to do? She's decided to go to the apartheid state. She's going to Israel on a junket paid for by, we know who. JCRC. Uh, JCRC, of course. And uh, in the midst of like all these difficulties right now in San Francisco and the Bay Area, she's decided to go and visit an apartheid state. So we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that it's kind of an ironic twist, but we're going to find out and dig deep into that. The next thing we're going to talk about is uh, one of our former guests, the UN Special Rapporteur for the Occupied Palestinian Territories, Francesca Albanese, is being attacked viciously by pro-Israel, pro-Zionist groups for the report that she's done uh, documenting the abuses done by the apartheid state. They're coming after her viciously, despite the support that she's getting internationally. So we're going to do a deep dive into that. But before we get to those stories, Jamal, we're going to watch a really kind of interesting and troubling interview you did with uh, Dr. Stephen Feldman. Uh, he's a Jewish-American dermatologist and professor at the Wake Forest University School of Medicine in North Carolina. He gave a Zoom lecture to medical students at the University of Arkansas. And his honorarium was denied because he refused to sign the pledge not to support BDS. And uh, he believes his constitutional rights were violated, which is something we've been talking about for many, many years now. So uh, great interview, and uh, we'll see it on the other side. That's right. BDS, the Boycott, Divestment and Sanction Movement, was founded as a peaceful strategy by Palestinians to pressure Israel economically to comply with international law. Violations included theft of Palestinian land, apartheid, and other human rights abuses. Boycotts have historically served notable human rights struggles to achieve justice. One example is Reverend Martin Luther King's vision for civil rights movement in the United States. Pro-Israel pushback to BDS has been strong, resulting in dozens of states enacting measures to withhold government funds from any contracted party who does not pledge to oppose BDS. This was the case for Dr. Stephen Feldman, a Jewish-American dermatologist. After he gave a Zoom lecture to medical students at the University of Arkansas, his honorarium was denied when he refused to sign the pledge. He actively supports boycotts and believes it is his constitutional right to do so. Dr. Stephen Feldman is joining us today. He's a dermatologist and professor at Wake Forest University School of Medicine in North Carolina. He's also a pro-Palestinian activist and the creator of the online Jewish Museum of the Palestinian People. Steve, welcome to Arab Talk. Thanks so much for having me. So let's begin by you summarizing your experience giving uh, your lecture then being denied your honorarium by the Arkansas government. Yeah, so I gave a lecture on um, patients' use of their medicines, how we can help patients 
use their medicines better. And it was a very well-received lecture. And then um, when they went to pay me, they said, well, you got to sign up to be a vendor. And the vendor has a box. The, the vendor uh, sign-up process for Arkansas has a box it, uh, to check to say whether or not you will um, support uh, BDS against Israel. And I didn't check the box that said that I wouldn't uh, forego supporting BDS. And when I didn't, they said, oh, you made a mistake. You didn't check the box. And I'm like, no, I didn't make a mistake. I mean, Israel was created by expelling entire villages of peaceful Palestinian families from their homes. Of course I support BDS. And then they said, well, we can't pay you. We can't make you a vendor. We can't pay you. Well, uh, I mean, what did you think about being required to trade in on your principles in order to receive payment? I mean, and we're not talking about a lot of money, but again, it's, it's the principles. Yeah, I think some people look at this as a First Amendment issue that people have a right to boycott, which I agree with. Totally. But I think the larger issue is why they have this law. They seem to think in Arkansas, the government there, that they are, I'm sure they think they are on the side of peace and justice and, and goodness by supporting Israel. I don't think they realize that Israel was created by expelling entire villages of Christian and Muslim families from their homes. Um, I didn't know it. I mean, I went to Hebrew school and they taught us that we Jews begged Palestinian families to stay in their homes, but they fled to make it easier to kill Jews. Now, when you think about this, it sort of doesn't make sense. These Christian and Muslim families had been living alongside Jewish Palestinian families for centuries. You know, what would make parents grab their children and leave their homes? Uh, it couldn't have been that they were, they suddenly, you know, wanted to make it easier to kill Jewish families. That just doesn't make any sense. So I started looking into it and I started looking just at the Israeli Jewish sources. And they made very clear that the Haganah, the pre-Israel army, expelled entire villages of people from their homes, and they blew up the buildings and mined the debris, which doesn't sound like we begged people to stay. Yeah, I mean, people just have to read, I mean, a very well-known book by renowned historian Elan Pape, The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine, documents everything because he had access to all the archived material. Now, if you've mentioned, I mean, uh, I think I've read um, that this uh, conflicted with your religious and moral views. Yeah. Talk By the way, you don't, you don't even have to read Elan Pape. You can read pro-Israel, anti-Palestinian Zionist sources like Benny Morris, right. who describes... Um, and he had access to a contemporary report by the Israeli Defense Force. The Israeli Defense Force said the three most important reasons Palestinian families left their homes were, number one, we forced them out. Number two, we forced them out. And number three, we forced them out. So, yeah, I grew up with very strong Jewish values. I went to a Hebrew school that my grandfather helped to found. My, my father had been president of the, of the Hebrew school. And, uh, you know, they taught us what Rabbi Hillel said about Judaism. When asked to describe all of Judaism while standing on one foot, he said, don't do to other people what you wouldn't want done to yourself. 
You know, I grew up in the shadow of the Holocaust. My mother's family's from Poland. Many of them were killed in the Holocaust. And the lesson of the Holocaust is you don't mistreat other people. Yeah, I know part of the lesson is you don't mistreat Jews, but the, the real lesson is you don't mistreat other people. And the Holocaust Museum makes this clear. I remember going down the stairs at the end of the museum and they have the um, Martin Niemöller poem on the wall that says, first they came for the socialists, and then they came for the trade unionists, and then they came for the Jews, and then there was nobody left to speak for me. Um, we should be, and, and you see this among Jews, that we, we stand for peace and justice. Um, you mentioned Martin Luther King earlier. Rabbi Abraham Heschel, you could see the picture of him walking in the front lines with Martin Luther King. Today, Jews stand for, for peace and justice. I just think we don't know what happened. I mean, I, I, I tell my Jewish friends that we expelled entire villages of Palestinian families, and they say, no, that couldn't have happened. And the reason I think they think it couldn't happen is because it is so completely against their moral, moral character. And this is why, ultimately, I am the most optimistic person you will ever meet when it comes to Israel and Palestine, because, you know, I know these Jewish families. I, I, my wife and I have Jewish family in Israel. They're not worse than South Africans, you know. They're not worse than Southern whites. They, I think they will realize that, that Palestinian families are, are good people just like them, and then they will invite them back to their homes. They will rebuild the villages together. They will live in peace. And when that happens, it's going to be a win-win-win because the economy of a country that has 1.5 billion Muslims and 2.5 billion Christians wanting to visit, you know, and spend their money and vacation and do the tourism, it's just going to be better for everybody. But to get there... I think you need BDS first. I think it's like South Africa. You have to feel the pain before you're willing to give up what you have now to get that better situation in the future. Well, uh, I mean, this has become a nationwide contention issue, contentious issue uh, when you talk about BDS. Many states have enacted anti-BDS measures. The pretext is that boycotts against Israel are not political speech, but rather discriminatory and that they target Jews. What do you say to that? Uh, yeah, I think the fact that the fastest growing Jewish organization, Jewish Voice for Peace, uh, you know, supports BDS and that all these other organizations, uh, uh, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, call Israel an apartheid state, make it clear this is, has nothing to do with discrimination against Jews. Uh, it's all about ending the mistreatment of Palestinian families. There is absolutely nothing anti-Semitic about being for peace, justice, and security for Jewish Israelis and non-Jewish Palestinians in equal measure. Um, I think that this point was made best to me um, by Rami El-Hanan, a member of the Parents Circle. This is an organization of Israeli and Palestinian parents whose children have been killed in this conflict. And he made it clear, you know, it is not anti-Semitic to try to get Israel to stop mistreating Palestinian families. The beautiful thing about these BDS laws, though, is that there's such an obvious um, a violation of Americans' First Amendment rights that Americans are going to look at this and go, wait a minute, this is not right. And then 
They might even go so far as to find out how Israel was created and begin to question their support for it. So I, it's kind of like President Trump was like the best thing to have happen to, to, to Americans' understanding of Palestinians because so many people had a knee-jerk reaction to be against whatever President Trump was for. Yeah, I mean, definitely what you're saying, uh, coexistence is uh, a win-win situation. I don't know how long it's going to take to to get there. You've mentioned the Jewish Voice for Peace and Jewish Voice Voice for Peace. They're very active in 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 this regard, in in, in their boycott and and calling Israel for what it is um, now, being identified as an apartheid regime by Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, Israel's own but uh, human rights organization, B'Tselem. But then you have groups right here in the United States, uh, such as ADL, APAC, and others who just, I don't know if they look the other way or they bury their heads in the sand. I mean, do you think the tide is shifting to sway some of their followers to to the right or to the middle? Oh, yeah, I'm very optimistic because I grew up plant, you know, collecting dimes to plant trees in Israel, you know? I didn't know they were being planted on the remains of Palestinian villages that we had destroyed. I'm no better than the people in the ADL or the APAC. I mean, they are people who are willing to spend their money to make the world a better place. They just don't realize that they're making the world, they've been making the world a worse place. And once they figure it out, I think it's going to be a very quick, sudden change. You're seeing the change happening very quickly. And in our lifetimes, we saw the Berlin Wall fell. We saw apartheid end in South Africa. In my lifetime, um, the treatment of blacks in the southern United States changed dramatically. Um, and so I'm I'm very optimistic that, that we're going to see um, the people the people in those organizations say, I'll give you, you know, sort of proof of this. I think even the people in those organizations wouldn't meet with that Israeli um, rep, uh, person, Smotrich, who came over to the United States, because what he says is so abhorrent to them. You know, you know, when he says, oh, we got to just, you know, uh, destroy Huara, you know, the things he said is are so abhorrent to American Jews, even the ones in APAC and ADO. But here's the thing. What Smotrich says is no different than what happened to Palestinians in 1948. So what he is saying is abhorrent to us. What happened in 1948, where we expelled entire villages of peaceful families from their homes, is abhorrent to us. And I think people are going to recognize that. Let's talk a little bit about your work uh, and the website that uh, you created, Jewish Museum of the Palestinian People. I uh, just should say its website is, uh, you can go to promiselandmuseum.org. How did this come about? So I was visiting family in Israel. My wife's uncle was like in charge of water for the country. So he would take us on tours of wherever water was important, which, as you might know, is like everywhere in Israel. And we were coming over a mountain. And we were looking out over the valley, and I could see farms and factories, the forests on the hills. We Jews took this land of empty deserts and swamps and made it bloom. And then I thought, 
if this was all empty deserts and swamps before we got here, as I had been taught in Hebrew school, how did 700,000 Palestinian men and women and children become refugees? If this was all deserts and swamps, where had they been living? Nobody ever showed me anything about that. It was like a loose thread that I began to pull on. And then I found, you know, that there was a town, Dair Yassin, that they didn't tell me about in Hebrew school, where we the one town where we committed atrocities. And then I learned about Safsaf, another town where the Jewish um, the folks documented that the Jewish people had committed rapes and looting and mass murders. Uh, and then I found out it wasn't just those two towns, that there were hundreds of towns. And then I read the work, uh, the autobiography from uh, Yitzhak Rabin, where he described expelling 50 to 70,000 Palestinian men, women, and children just from the towns of Lidin and Ramla alone, the towns that became the Tel Aviv airport. I don't think any of my Jewish friends, when they fly to Tel Aviv, they realize it's it, it's built where tens of thousands of Palestinian people were expelled from their homes and villages. And I I, I was like, okay, I got I got to make other people aware of this. And so I created this online museum. One of the most recent additions to it is a letter that uh, an authentic letter from Albert Einstein. He was asked to support the American Friends for the for for. Uh, the protection of Israel, and he wrote back, "There's no way I'm going to support those misguided, you know, evil terrorists." And talking about, you know, you know, the the, the groups that were run by like Begin and Shamir, future prime ministers of Israel. And then I had an even more meaningful experience when a friend of mine invited me to go with him to the West Bank to Ramallah to meet Palestinian families. And when I came back from that, I was like, oh my goodness, I, I have to devote myself to this because we really don't understand how nice these people are. I mean, they're, they're little, the Christians are the living stones of Christianity. They're walking on the same stones that Jesus walked on. And their culture of warmth and friendliness is just amazing. It is a, a wonderful resource for people to learn more about Palestine and Israel. Don't you also by the, organize by, by the way, as well? Yes, by the way. There are other organizations. One of the things I get pushback from uh, is that the idea of a Jewish museum of the Palestinian experience is wrong. People should listen to Palestinians. There should be a Palestinian where they should go to the Museum of the Palestinian People in Washington, D.C. They should, they should reach out to Palestinians. But here's the thing. Anybody who believes that is already woke to the issue. That's not who we need to reach. We need to reach my parents. We need to reach those people in the ADL. I don't think they're go they're ready to listen to Palestinian voices. They're not going to go visit the Nakba Museum. So I created a museum based just almost completely on the Jewish Israeli sources, people that sources that these people would believe, and those sources tell you that we expelled entire villages of peaceful families. And to, now, now about these exhibits, yeah, um, we've created banners, uh, uh, displays that we can take to the, the organizations who want to share this information. So church groups, the, uh, synagogues uh, who want to share this information, college groups, we will send them the banners. They can have events where they can display the materials. Uh, I recently presented at, um, at Rutgers in New Jersey. I'm headed to, to Pittsburgh to, to go to the Unitarian Universalists annual convention to present our information there as well. I mean, you talked a little bit about your upbringing uh, and 
would you say, and you're talking about your views towards Israel have evolved over time, and if so, and I know you've mentioned that, but what was the exact key moment uh, of insight for you to make that switch? Yeah, the key moment of insight was just questioning what I had been taught. Just the, the idea that was what I was taught the real story, um, because it didn't make sense the story that I was taught that 700,000 people would become refugees. And as I began to just question that, then it's like dominoes. Because then you start to question, you start to see one thing after another that, you know, I, I was on a, a discussion group with other dermatologists and an Israeli dermatologist said, you know, we Jews, we never looted, we never raped, we, we never did. And so I looked and I, it turned out we did loot, we did rape, we, you know, we, we, we did all committed all kinds of atrocities. The the people who, I mean, I, I'm not. I, I support Israel, but I support Palestinians in equal measure. Uh, the people who support Israel at the expense of Palestinians, I think, are unaware of what happened. You are the most recent of many uh, challenges to these state laws. Many have been successful. However, in February, the Supreme Court declined to hear an appeal to Arkansas anti-bycott law by the publisher of the Arkansas Times. This was brought strictly based on free speech. What do you see as the next line of action to dismantle these undemocratic gag laws? Yes, I think that um, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> uh, I, I think that, that um, the Arkansas Times case was not taken up by the Supreme Court because the Arkansas Times was not actively speaking out against boycott, uh, against the mistreatment of Palestinian families. They, the Arkansas Times was not trying to boycott Israel in any way. And so it was sort of a moot point. All they were, all the Arkansas law did, as far as the Arkansas Times was concerned, was a commercial issue. And so maybe the Supreme Court said, well, there's no real First Amendment issue here. People like me, you know, who are who who have strong American Jewish, which are the same as American Christian and American Muslim values, you know, want to see the end of the mistreatment of Palestinian families, want to see equality and justice security for all the people in the Holy Land. For us, it's clearly, uh, you know, a, a, a First Amendment right of speech to speak out peacefully through BDS and get this done. And I think if if the Supreme Court ever brought the, was brought that case, I'm I'm confident that they would say, yeah, you know, and but and on top of that, were that case to go to the Supreme Court, I think the newspapers and the media might 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 address the issue of well what really did happen to create Israel. What is really going on with the treatment of Palestinian families? What's your next move? I mean, they still owe you $500, right? That's it. And we're not talking about millions of dollars, but nevertheless, you're owed that money. They're refusing to pay to pay you. Uh, yeah. I mean, normal, in normal disputes, maybe you just let it go, I, I guess, but, uh, or people will go to a small claims court. But, you know, I mean, this is against your principles. I mean, are we, are you willing to uh, escalate the situation with them? Absolutely, because this is the least expensive publicity there's ever been 
for getting Americans to be aware of what happened to Palestinian families, how they became refugees, and how they're being kept refugees by Israel, and how they're being mistreated by Israel. Uh, so sure, I will listen to my lawyer's advice about next steps legally. Um, I think this whole effort to pass these BDS laws is going to come back in eventually a good way to bite Israel, you know, because it's going to make Americans realize, you know, how wrong what we've been supporting is. If we took the billions of dollars we're giving Israel and said, look, we're not going to give you any more money to kill people. We're going to give you money to rebuild the villages. We'll put the people of Ohio and Michigan and Pennsylvania to work building prefabricated housing design to work in the Holy Land environment. We'll rebuild Palestinian villages. We'll help you resettle the refugees. We will, we will make America a supporter for peace. We will make Israel the beacon that it really intended to the Jews intend for it to be of peace and justice. And when, when Jews and Palestinian Christians and Palestinian Muslims are living together in peace again, like they used to, and all of these people from all over the world are coming to visit a peaceful Holy Land, and you have to expand the, the Tel Aviv airport, and you have to add a second airport in Gaza to handle all of the money coming in, all the people and all the money coming in. It's going to be a beacon for ending other forms of discrimination, I think, around the world. What's your view on what's going on in Tel Aviv, the demonstrations? Uh, people, they, they believe they're demonstrating for the sake of democracy, <laughs> they're calling the government the fascist government, yet Palestinians are absent in that realm. Yeah. You know, I think this is this, these protests are big news and are, as far as I'm concerned, completely irrelevant because they have nothing to do with returning Palestinian families to their homes and villages. Um, at best, I think it's... an you know, it, it may wake up some liberal Jewish Americans to begin to question Israel. And, and when they see Smotrich saying these things, and maybe they'll realize that, oh my God, that's what happened in 48. But you know, it, it would be like uh, a protest in South Africa uh, about which apartheid party is going to run the country. That to me is irrelevant. Um well, how do you feel when you see uh, Speaker of the House uh, Kevin McCarthy going to Israel, speaking at the Knesset? He's the second, I think, Speaker of the House to speak at the Knesset after uh, Newt Gingrich, saying he wants to invite now Benjamin Netanyahu, who has recently been shunned from being received at the White House, and praising the government. I mean, it's like he's going against not only the administration, but also against more than half the population or half the population in Israel saying how great yeah. Benjamin Netanyahu is and the government and so forth. Yeah, I think the last poll showed that most Democrats, more Democrats support Palestinians than Israel at this point. And I think it's because of people like President Trump and this McCarthy thing. It, 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 it used to be that support for Israel was completely and totally bipartisan, and those days are over. Uh, and um, and I think McCarthy's going to accelerate the partisanship of it and move more Democrats towards supporting equality, justice for all the people in the Holy Land, not just for the Jewish people. 
and I don't think the Republicans are going to be far behind. I think I'm a I'm conservative. I want to see a balanced budget. You know, I I I um I I think that Republicans probably give more money to charity than Democrats do. I think their moral values are just as strong, at least as strong as the moral values of Democrats. I don't think Republicans would support if they knew making and keeping Christian and Muslim Palestinian families refugees from their homes. Dr. Stephen Feldman, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. And the website for our viewers and listeners, promisedlandmuseum.org. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. That's Dr. Stephen Feldman. He's a Jewish-American dermatologist, professor at Wake Forest University School of Medicine in North Carolina. So, Jamal, here we are, 21st century. You can attack the U.S. Capitol. You can do seditious insurrections. You can attack and boycott uh, Bud Light beer. You can boycott uh, anything you want in the United States. But it's against the law in Arkansas to not sign a pledge that you won't support the BDS movement, which is extraordinary that we live in a world in this country where you can be penalized for your constitutional right to boycott something. Well, first, let me begin by uh, saying kudos to Dr. Feldman. Yeah. First, for noticing the fine print, because most people, they oh, check the box, and you check the box and you don't read the fine print right. and the requirements. And two, for standing his ground and saying, you're violating my constitutional rights to boycott. And, and by the way, which is also mentioned in the interview, Dr. Feldman supports BDS. He speaks against apartheid Israel. And he wants to see an end to uh, Palestinian oppression, uh, you know, and, and basically he's saying Jews and, and Palestinians can live together peacefully, but not under these conditions. And to imagine, you know, a state of Arkansas, okay, well, we know Arkansas, this is the birthplace <laughs> of uh, Bill Clinton. He was governor there. But aside from this, what business do they have to be meddling in international affairs. You know, it's, it's like they have a million things to do. I don't know, I, I'm not an expert on Arkansas. I know they, are, they have the largest chicken farms in the whole country or something like this. Right, but, right. But regardless, to kind of put this condition, I mean, they're not saying, you know, you should uh, pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States. They're not saying, you should um, certify that you have not committed a felony or something like this. They're asking people who worked for them, because that's an honorarium, to say, before you get paid, you must pledge that you are not going to boycott Israel. I mean, isn't it's a, this ludicrous? It's, it's not just ludicrous, Jamal. It's potentially, and, and we've said this, and I think this is eventually going to go to the Supreme Court. It's unconstitutional. People in Arkansas and throughout this country boycott things every single day. They boycott Disney, you know, because of what Ron DeSantis once, you know, uh, has said about his concerns about the woke Disney. People boycott things every single day in this country. It's, it's, a, it's a right in this country 
to decide where to put your money, what to spend your money on, who you want to support and who you don't want to support. It's a it's an abs- absolute constitutional right. Exactly. exactly. I mean, but I, except I boycott, Jamal, I boycott tobacco companies. I'm not, I, I will not. I'm not willing to invest one penny in tobacco companies. Absolutely, and people do that all the time. So why? What is this? This is the, this is the apartheid exception, Jamal. That uh, you can do anything you want in terms of boycotting in this country, but when it comes to the apartheid state, you are forbidden from boycott using BDS. So let me ask you a question: What right does Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's the governor of Arkansas now? who has recently relaxed the child labor laws that have been in place there for 100 years. So now you could exploit child labor in Arkansas. What, what she got to say about this uh, BDS law? Is there any, what, what the heck is going on in Arkansas? Well, we know what's going on. I mean, it's not uh, just in Arkansas. It happened in Texas to right. this young uh, teacher right. uh, who found out before she, she was about to be hired that she had to sign that that pledge and she refused and she sued and she won by exactly. the way and 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 it's it's something wrong in our federalist system a little bit uh, there are good things about separation between the states and the federal government and so forth but in this case because you know this is unconstitutional to ask any american this is the first amendment that you cannot buy cut or you cannot buy from this store or, or if you decide not to buy from this store or, and so forth tell them what to do that uh, now these organizations are circumventing the constitution and basically lobbying with politicians like Sarah we and others who are just basically looking to get elected and getting the votes out and getting uh, money to finance their election campaigns to basically circumvent the U.S. Constitution by passing ridiculous laws that has right. nothing to do with right. the state, has nothing to do with the Belby. I can tell you, most people in Arkansas never been to the Middle East. They've never been to Palestine. They have the, you know, and yet you force them to sign this pledge, you know, just about BDS. You're not talking about signing a pledge and saying, I'm not going to buy drugs from the Mexican cartel you know, or we're right. not going to support our tax money going to fund terror regimes and, 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 and wars in overseas. We'd rather spend our federal um, tax money on building new schools and new hospitals. So do you think, uh, Jamal, Dr. Feldman will, will, will kind of pursue any litigation to go forward with this denial of his honorarium? He said he's consulting with his lawyers uh, in the interview, and he said that actually, because he does, he supports BDS and 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 wants to educate people about what's going on in Israel and its um, uh, basically apartheid practices against Palestinians. That this is his honorarium, or the denial of his honorarium, is the cheapest add money that anyone can buy. <laughs> so so by doing so, yeah. you know, he spoke to us, he's been on other publications and been interviewed, and I think any sane person in the United States, any reasonable person in the United States, will see through this atrocity, really, to, to, to ask someone to sign something before they get paid, you know, 
about something that involves another country. Like, you know, if I made you sign something to pledge your allegiance to King Charles in in Britain, <laughs> that's basically <laughs> the same thing. He said, you must check this box that you pledge allegiance or, to King Charles in Britain. Otherwise, I'm not going to pay you, Jess. It would, it would never happen. But I guess the theme that we're kind of uh, talking about, Jamal, is local politicians stepping into the arena of international uh politics and international foreign policy when they have no right. And now we have Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and that legislature. It's a nice segue to talk about a local issue that we're, uh, that we're experiencing here in Northern California in the Bay Area. We have the mayor of San Francisco, who has always claimed her bona fides as a progressive candidate in San Francisco, deciding in the midst of tremendous turmoil going on right now, economic turmoil, political turmoil, uh, crime waves in San Francisco. People leaving San Francisco. People leaving San Francisco in economic crisis because of the- Businesses are leaving San Francisco, like drug stores and so forth. Right, right. I mean, it's just like such a chaotic time. So let me, what, what, Jamal, is Mayor London Breed doing taking a junket paid for by the JCRC to go visit the apartheid state when most of the world is shunning the apartheid state right now. London Breed is going to, on a visit. Well, this is, and I'm, 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 I'm going to say things from her press release and from other reports, and basically she's saying that she announced that she'll be leading a mission to Israel in collaboration with the San Francisco Haifa City sister city committee and the Jewish Community Relations Council, the JCRC Bay Area. Uh, she's going to be, there's a mission that she'll take with her delegation of 30 people uh, on May 9th uh, to mark the 50th anniversary of the San Francisco Haifa City sister city relationship. Then she goes on that uh, part of this mission is because due to economical reasons and to you know encourage business and so forth and then she talks about diversity and uh, which which you know uh, we, she says we are proud uh, no no this is the, that's from JCRC anyway she's uh, talking about uh, basically um, going to a city that has technology but also is diverse and Diverse gonna... is code. Uh, Jamal, <laughs> we need to let our listeners know Haifa's a Palestinian city. She's well, talking I mean, about... no, no, first and foremost, okay, Haifa is one of those major Palestinian cities that has been ethnically cleansed in 1948 by, by most of its indigenous Palestinians. Pop- population, exactly. Population. And besides the point, this is even, even if this agreement was signed 50 years ago, this comes at a time just when most international leaders, including President Biden, are shunning Benjamin Netanyahu and his ilk, are shunning his ministers who are fascists, labeled by their own population. There are demonstrations, as as we are speaking, in Tel Aviv against this fascist government. And we're talking about this visit now comes at the heels of several international human rights organizations labeling Israel as an apartheid state, starting with Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, the United Nations Rapporteur, 
Uh, we're talking about Israel's own human rights organization, B'Tselem. This is the largest Israeli human rights organization. We're talking about Israel's own former attorney general saying my country is an apartheid state. So it's almost like crossing the picket line. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going <laughs> to even talk about 1948. So everybody is saying, you know, something is, is wrong there. Absolutely. And, and the whole world is watching. And then you decide as, as the mayor to take with your delegation of 30. Yes, uh, they say it is paid by uh, the community, Jewish members of the community in the Bay Area. Each, each uh, bill is going to be about $7,000 and so forth. Uh, without the airfare, so do the math times times and add to that the airfare. And the only thing, the only thing that the city is going to be uh, paying for is the security detail for Mayor London Breed. Okay, that's how this is how they describe this this trip, and the timing couldn't be worse. Absolutely for everybody. The I timing. mean, internationally, politically, but for the mayor to leave San Francisco now, Jamal, when when there's so much upheaval in San Francisco right now, in the Bay Area, economic concerns, homelessness, uh, violence occurring, economic downturns, vacancy, I mean, it's just unbelievable that she's deciding to visit an apartheid state at this time when everything going on in San Francisco. Do you think, let me ask you a question because you are a former human rights uh, commissioner uh, in San Francisco. Let me ask you, does this mean that London Breed is thinking about, God forbid, surprise, surprise, uh, what her next big political move is? Well, this is a very bad political move. I mean, she might think it's a good political move because whoever is organizing this trip are obviously, aside from this, she thinks she can count on, on this particular organization or group to help her get out the vote. But there are a lot of Arab Americans in the Bay Area and Palestinian Americans in San Francisco in, in particular, but also people who care about human rights. And, and this city is known for human rights and 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 the standing for uh, marginalized communities and what she's doing is the total opposite absolutely and i think that uh, we're going to follow this story you know she's leaving uh, this week coming up we'll follow it of course in her press releases and we'll follow it in terms of how it's portrayed in the local uh, press and internationally, but I got to think, Jamal, this is not only a bad move politically for her, but I got to figure that she's probably thinking about, incorrectly, but still thinking about what her next big political move is. Well, I'm just going to say one more thing about this, Jess. Uh, today, and I posted something and I just watched uh, in the news uh, because it's Sunday uh, in, in Palestine, there was a mass for uh, journalist Shireen Abu Akli in Beit Hanina, where she lived in her local church, commemorating basically one year since her murder, which will be next week, I think, on the 11th of May. So today's right. today Sunday was dedicated, and here's an American citizen who was murdered a year ago by this apartheid regime, 
and and yet she's going to go there. And I know what we use the term Hasbara for our listeners who don't know what Hasbara is, is Israeli propaganda. This JCRC trip, it's going to be well organized. And then and then they say she's going to meet Palestinians and she's going to go oh, to BS. Bethlehem it's and whatever. B- it's it's hand selected people. Let her go and talk to the family of Shireen Abu Aqli in Jerusalem. If she doesn't have the address, I'll give them, I'll give her the address and I'll give her the phone number. Let her talk to the Palestinians in Bethlehem, not just like a photo op. Let her talk to the Palestinians who are prevented from going to Jerusalem just recently to go for Easter, Orthodox That's Easter right. and, and the regular Catholic Easter, they were prevented. Let her talk to them. Let her talk to the Palestinians who <laughs> live in Haifa now. They're relegated to a small neighborhood in the Snas neighborhood in the bottom of Haifa. Many of them lost their homes from the Mount Carmel up, uh, up the hill, and many of them were totally ethnically cleansed from the entire city. I guarantee you, Jamal, she's not going to do that. Um, so the, the last point before we transition to uh, our next uh, story is that I'm hoping that this will um, really reveal the true uh, face of the JCRC locally here in Northern California in the Bay Area. Again, they've always held themselves out to be part of the local progressive kind of uh, zeitgeist and kind of feeling in the Bay Area. But it's the JCRC is, is simply the handmaiden of the apartheid state, and they need to be called out for that. Listen, we, uh, I know you remember that, but we did the whole show and we, That's discussed, right. we discussed that. Uh, it's been, I think, a couple of years or so. We need to revisit that we because have to, we, we pointed have, out how the JCRC yeah. has been funding uh, these, I mean, basically anti democratic uh, organizations, hateful organizations here in there the There was area. a whole report uh, in the Jewish Forward. A Jewish Forward investigative report. Right, People can right. look it up. They support hate groups like Canary Mission. Okay, that this is the website that, and they they admitted that that they gave the money and they said, oh, we gave the money, but we stopped doing that, and they supported other groups. It's a whole. I don't want to get David into Horowitz. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to get we... into it, but it's very easy. It's very easy to to look that up and 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 Google it. Anyway, uh, let's move on to our next story, Jess, which is also related because now we've talked about apartheid, and so uh, you know. Guess what? You know, the rapporteur appointed by the United Nations. This is a a a an Italian lawyer, human rights attorney, expert on human rights. Okay, her name is Francesca Albanese, who we had on the show here before. So she has no what they call it. Uh, uh, she doesn't have any anything in the game, right? To no. You know, so she's sent to Palestine to investigate, and she has her group, and she's been doing it now for several months, and she comes out with a report. This report was basically published not too long ago, saying, highlighting all the human rights abuses, highlighting the settlements and the settler attacks on Palestinians, etc., 
calling the state as an apartheid state, which, by the way, she said, I'm not the only one to, to say that. I'm not the first one to say that Israel is an apartheid state. So now she has been facing a, a I would say, a hideous campaign, a strong campaign, basically to get her removed from the, to sack her, basically, from the United Nations. Even though three former rapporteurs before her urged the United Nations on April 27th to defend their successor, stating that she has been the target of attacks that have been slanderous and personal. I mean, these are her, you know, right. predecessors, right. and they're saying, you know, there's nothing that she has been saying or doing that we don't agree with. And yet, there is a major campaign, basically, you know, attacking her. Well, this is really disturbing, Jamal, because uh, Francesca Albanese is considered an international expert on human rights and international law. She has impeccable credentials. She does impeccable research, not just in occupied Palestine, Jamal, but if you look at her resume and her CV and her work, she's done this globally, basically her entire professional life. She's an amazing person. And, uh, you know, has this really important position at, at the UN as the special rapporteur for, for Palestine. I should, I should add one thing, just that she is actually the, the first woman to be appointed for this role. Exactly. And so I guess it's not surprising that uh, she is being attacked. But what's interesting about this attack, because, you know, we've, we've spoken with other rapporteurs over the years. You know, Richard Falk, for example, was a special rapporteur. He's a Jewish-American actual attorney who was viciously attacked and still attacked to this day, I, I might add, who has written, who, who wrote, you know, was one of the co-authors of the letter to the United Nations, basically saying you've got to keep uh, Francesca Albanese in because she's doing incredible work. The work is incredible. I, I just want to echo what she said. Her conclusions are no different than what Israeli human rights organizations have said. They're no different from what other human rights organizations have said. She's basically saying the same thing, but she's saying it with the special weight of being a UN rapporteur, and that's why they're coming after her. So uh, you're mentioning, I just want to reemphasize, it's a letter that ad addressed to the UN leadership, basically. The former rapporteurs, uh, Jess, as you mentioned, Richard Falk, but also John Dugard and Michael Link, they said, as you've mentioned, that they too were, tar uh, were the target of such attacks during their terms, but the smears against Albanese are of greater ferocity and mean-spiritness. The letter was written by South African Dugard. He's from South Africa. He should know something about apartheid. A little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who served in the role from 2001 to 2008. American-born uh, uh, Richard Falk served from 2008 to 2014. And Canadian-born Link served from 2016 to 2022, before her. So they all said, I mean, this is ongoing. I mean, if you're talking about the first one, the first... One is from 2001, that this is ongoing since 2001. We've been witnessing these human rights abuses. And now uh, all these uh, 
hate groups and Hasbara groups and their supporters in the U.S., their surrogates, etc., they're all ganging up on her and calling for her dismissal. Well, I, I, I don't believe it's going to happen. I'm kind of curious about what uh, our U.N. Uh, representative in uh, the United States' representative in, in New York would what she's going to say about this, how the U.S. will vote, because this is, as we say, Jamal, it's old wine in in new bottles. It's the same old attack. If you're critical of apartheid, if you're right an honest, forthright analysis about the abuses that the apartheid regime, the Israeli government engages in, especially in the current climate, isn't it ironic? They're attacking Francesca Albanese at a time when you have not just fascists, but Hateful, like terrorists. Hateful I mean, it's, terrorists. It's, it's, they're doubling down. I mean, doubling down. I mean, instead of saying, you know, maybe we should listen to the international community. It's maybe not we should happen. listen to Amnesty International. Maybe we should or listen human to Human Rights, Rights Watch. And instead, they're doubling down. I mean, this is and 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 sadly, that's because of the positions taken. I'm, I want to start by the EU. Okay, and the United States, followed by Canada, Australia, and other countries, who keep looking the other way, or or giving Israel a wink and a nod, and and, and continue Cover. like it's it's business as usual. But I think that's an important point, Jamal. The only reason Francesca Albanese is being attacked viciously, she gets cover from the United States, from Canada, from EU. Look at what. We spoke about this last week about the EU, uh, uh, you know, director and the comment she made on the 75th, you know, kind of anniversary of the birth of the apartheid state. You know, wishing them quote happy birthday, and how they made the desert bloom. That gives cover to these hateful groups to attack Francesca Albanese in her role as a special rapporteur. Well, I say again, kudos uh, to her, strong principled woman. Absolutely. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website arabtalkradio.com to download the latest shows and we'll talk to you next week. See you next week. <laughs>